0: Welcome to the Grazing Grass Podcast, episode 12, where we talk to Jake Tackiff of Cedar Spring Farms. My number one recommendation
1: to somebody getting into this now is to find a mentor. Find many
0: mentors. Go work on their farms. Immerse yourself in it. You're listening to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. On today's interview, we have Jake Tackiff, Jake and his family operate Cedar Springs Farm. And on today's episode, we discuss swells, trees, cattle, and hogs. Before we get to today's conversation, if you've not subscribed to our podcast, please subscribe. Also, share this episode with someone you think might find it interesting. Also, leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. Jake, we're glad to have you on the Grazing Grass podcast and to hear about your grazing story. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your operation?
1: Yeah, so we I live with my family on uh, 40 acres in Hotchkiss, Colorado. We got onto that land about four years ago and have really uh, prioritized Uh, rotational grazing and other regenerative methods to rehabilitate a lot of the soil, a lot of the areas of the farm that have been for many decades overgrazed and uh, maybe not been taken care of as best they could have. We're utilizing livestock and perennials to really uh, promote healthy soil and a healthy ecosystem and uh, oh, yes. using that process to create viable products we can
0: sell, bring to market. Oh, yes. Yes. Is this land that you just recently purchased? Did you grow up on a farm? How did you get there for your grazing? So we purchased it
1: in, uh, let's see, 2017. And uh, it's the first farm I've actually owned outright. I've always farmed on leased land. Uh, I didn't grow up in a farming family, but uh, early in life, I started working on farms and uh, had some really amazing mentors who taught me a lot early on. And then since then, I've always made a living wherever I go uh, by either
0: leasing land and raising animals or working on neighboring farms. Tell us a little bit more about where you are in Colorado. About your climate and your rainfall in the area. So we live in what's considered to
1: be a high desert at uh, 6,400 feet elevation, receiving 10 inches, sometimes less of rainfall a year. Oh, wow. Yeah, and most of it's during a certain time of year. So there's actually long stretches throughout the year where we don't get any precipitation at all. And so the real key for us is how to manage our water, stretch out that water to keep the uh, the forage growing, keep
0: our animals grazing, and keep the landscape healthy. Yes, 10, ten inches of water is not very much to work with, but it's always good to have challenges. Yeah, it's been challenging, and we're lucky, yeah.
1: What kind of forages do you have? So we've... Uh, we're lucky to have quite a few perennial and annual grasses and legumes already established on the farm. But a lot of areas were really overrun with thistle, napweed, a lot of other really gnarly weeds that the cattle wouldn't eat. So we've, oh, uh, yeah. we've spent time really focusing on moving the water across our landscape. We use swales, we use ditches, we use any method we can to just spread that water out and soak it into our landscape and, uh, and then graze our animals through that system. And we've really seen a lot of the grasses and legumes now taking over and actually dominating over the weeds, uh, in most areas, there's still some areas we
0: got a lot of work to go on, but we are seeing a difference. Very good. Very good. Now your swells and your ditches, do you have some natural ponds? Um, And then are you watering from those swales or ditches? Or how are you you doing watering for your animals? So we have a couple of springs on the property
1: that are very productive. And the springs, when they have enough flow and they allow for us to, we'll use that water to uh, flood them into the swales and irrigate the trees. That also sub-irrigates the pasture below. Okay. So we we do notice that uh, by flooding out a swale, we actually hit a pretty large uh, surface area of the ground and have seen a lot more vegetation and greenery. And uh, the springs overflow into a series of ponds that we built. And uh, those ponds are where we'll drink the cattle out of. And it's also, we've stocked them with trout and allowed some really... uh, abundant riparian zones to develop around the ponds. We're really particular about how we bring livestock to ponds to drink. We don't want to damage that ecosystem. Yes. So we have a lot of, uh, of wildlife
0: and a lot of really beautiful riparian zones on the farm now. Oh, very nice. So how are you bringing cows to the pond? We've opted for bringing the cows in
1: always from the uphill side. So The downhill side of the pond has a dam that's actually holding the pond in place. So for one thing, we leave that whole downhill side alone. We don't uh, want those heavy hooves in that area. And we try to actually bring the cattle in in a way that they're actually not drinking out of the pond itself, but out of these slight waterways that like veins that come off of the pond. And those veins actually move the water away from the pond at a one 1% 1% grade. And what that does, it actually keeps any manure or urine, uh, from the livestock that hits the ground and runs off into that, uh, into that water. None of it actually goes into the pond. It's kind of trajected across the landscape, actually onto the trees and onto the pasture where it's, uh, used as fertilizer
0: instead of contaminating our water source. Oh, very good. Very good. You mentioned your trees. I think I saw on Instagram, you all have planted a lot of trees. What species and what, what are you trying to do with your trees? Yeah, that's a great question. So we've been trialing with the trees right now
1: because with our amount of rainfall and also our type of soil, which is very alkaline, a little bit salty, and pretty poor in most areas, it's been a real experiment to get tree cover established on our farm. Uh, our goal with the trees is to create windbreak for the farm, shade for the animals, uh, fodder for the animals from coppice trees, as well as fruit, nuts and berries, mostly for the livestock. Um, we're not really trying to create a a, a commercial orchard or a, a, a monoculture of any type of uh nut fruit or berry we're instead trying to create an ecosystem and let it be uh self-sufficient once it's established so our feed bill will actually be cut down to nothing because the pigs will be foraging for these crops on their own and uh the cattle will enjoy the shade and and just the effect of having trees in the high desert the it, it works like a swamp cooler it it uh the moisture that those trees hold, oh, and the, yes. when the sun hits those trees and wicks away that moisture, it, uh, it creates a cool,
0: shady environment where the livestock are comfortable and people are comfortable too. So what are you doing to, to get that established so your livestock doesn't hurt your tree saplings? So our tree plantings
1: are all planted on the swales. So if you can imagine uh, what swales look like from above is a topographical map. You actually, because they're on contour, you actually see the lines moving across the landscape. Okay. So the trees are planted on those swales. Those swales are 30 to 60 feet apart from each other. Depending on where it's flatter, the swales move farther apart. Where it's steeper, the swales come closer together. So it creates a meandering alley. So we use portable electric fencing, and we run the cows and the pigs in between those alleyways. So it defines our rotational grazing pattern. So the swales are actually the fence lines that we use. Oh, okay. So we have about uh, I would say at this point probably twelve thousand feet of swales moving across our landscape, and uh, maybe even more. And those become our portable fence lines and when the animals have grazed one alley we move them down to the next alley to graze and we move them through the entire system and when they've grazed through it we start them back at the top
0: and start over about how long does it take you to move your animals all the way through the system and start back over
1: we make it through the whole system twice a year so by the time that the animals have made it through once we start them in the spring When the grass is coming up, uh, by midsummer they've made it through the whole system and start back at the top and then, uh, work their way back through again. And they're finished right around the time they'd start eating hay. Oh yeah. What's great about it is it's actually putting all that fertility on those alleys. And when it does rain and that manure runs off the field, it's running off into the soil below and onto the root system of the tree. So those trees are
0: actually getting a lot of fertility from those ruminants. Oh, yes, they would. Now on the swales, is there always water standing or is there water in there sometimes? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's
1: water in them uh, when we have a rain or snow event. If the snow melts really fast, you'll see all the swales have uh, water in them, but it's not necessarily standing. All the swales are engineered at a 1% grade. So the water actually moves uh, slowly across the landscape. It's not moving in a at a speed that's erosive. It's moving at a very slow uh, gradual rate. And so it soaks into the ground and it's not disturbing the the soil. And uh, it's it's a really lovely method because that way the the trees don't get their feet too wet. The water moves over them but it's not standing and getting stagnant and causing root rot. And we found that in some areas we get more water in the swales In some areas they stay dry more often. And so we've had to really tailor what tree species go in what areas. Some trees need a lot more water. Some of them actually like it drier. Uh, And we're growing everything from riparian trees like poplars and willows and walnuts and uh, things that want a lot of water all the way to you know, pinion and siberian shrub and russian mulberry things that really don't want any water on them. So we we've tailored our plantings to the landscape. Notice what areas are wet,
0: what areas stay dry and then we plant accordingly. Oh, okay. Very good. And were the swales in place when you purchased the land or is that something you added? They were not. We we got the land, it was There was
1: nothing there except uh, there's an old mobile home and a barn and no earthworks, no ponds. Uh, So it's really been a, a lot of work these past four years. We've, we engineered and dug all the swales ourselves. Uh, We also uh, we've remodeled the barn and made it a usable space. We've uh, you know, we got the place for, for a very affordable price and have put in a lot of work to make it into something really special and and really beautiful. We've planted at this point over 10,000 trees and uh and at this point we're we're just watching the landscape begin to mature and grow
0: into what our vision is for it. Oh yes, your landscape's so very young with those trees and having just completed this in the last 4 years. Yeah, it's it's a really young system still. You mentioned livestock. You have what kind of species do you have for livestock? So right now we're focused
1: on cattle, hogs, and poultry. And we've experimented with lots of other livestock. And I've in in previous farms that I've run, I've run all types of livestock. But what it comes down to is that cattle, hogs, and poultry are the easiest defense. And the most profitable animals that uh, that I've found for the farm, uh, they're good for the land if you manage them properly, and they're actually going to pay your bills. You don't have to sell, you don't have to explain to people what grass-fed beef is. Grass-fed beef is hot. People want it. Uh, pastured pork is hot. People want it. Yes. You're not trying to sell a product that you have to explain what it is. So we're really focused on heritage breeds, on grass-fed genetics, on uh, animals that are incredibly hardy. We, we don't like animals you have to baby and, uh, and put a lot of energy into. We don't like pulling calves or anything like that. We've, we've settled on varieties yes. of livestock that are incredibly self-sufficient and uh, incredibly delicious and also adapted to our, our particular landscape. Very good. What breeds are you using? For cattle, we're pretty settled on uh, the Belted Galloway as our herd of of mother cows, as mamas. They're incredibly tough animals. We've never had a calving issue. And uh, the Belted Galloway is incredibly delicious animal, beautiful marbled meat on pasture. You never need to give them grain to achieve a marble. They'll have a marble just on a grass fed diet. And we run a Devon bull, a red Devon, very nice, another beautiful heritage breed. And what we like about the Devon, it just adds more size to the cuts. People like seeing a big old ribeye and, uh, the belted Galloway can be a little smaller framed. And so we find breeding them to the Devon bull, which doesn't Doesn't take away from flavor at all. Doesn't take away from any of those good grass grass fed genetics. It actually adds a little bit of size to the cuts, and we our cattle will finish a little faster on a grass fed diet. So we right now we're running belted Galloway cows and a Red Devon bull, and uh, the the offspring are getting raised for uh, for slaughter. And then as far as pigs go. We've experimented with a lot of breeds, everything from uh, cooney coonies and those little grazing hogs. And we've been through that whole phase. We've also tried some of the bigger pigs and I've raised Yorkshires and Durocs and then all those big, nasty, lean pigs that just don't do great on pasture. And what we've really settled on is uh, the Gloucester Old Spot. It's a uh, heritage pig. Oh, okay. Just big, gentle pigs that are incredibly efficient on pasture. They And they've got a sweet demeanor, too. You don't have to worry about them biting you or being nasty. They're just a sweet, tempered, delicious pig. And uh, we're lucky in our valley. There's a lot of orchards, and we're able to get their culled fruit. So uh, most of the summer and into the fall, we're feeding these pigs Oh, you know, apples and peaches, all organic culled fruit from these big orchards. And, uh, you know, as they're eating the fruit, they're also grazing on grass and alfalfa. Very nice. They're drinking spring water. And then come wintertime, when there isn't forage out and about to go find, we actually uh, source organic barley and we sprout it for them. So when they're not pastured and eating fruit, they're eating sprouted barley. Oh, okay. So they they got it pretty good. And uh, as far as poultry, we actually don't raise poultry for uh, market. We don't sell chicken or turkey or eggs or anything. We we've kind of gotten to the point where actually uh, poultry is worth more alive than dead, because uh, so we have turkeys, chickens, guinea fowl, ducks, and geese, and they're the janitors. They are the cleanup crew. Uh, They never get fenced in. We have no fences for our poultry. Oh, yes. We don't have a chicken coop. We don't have uh, an indoor space for them. They all roost. uh, A lot of them roost on our porch. Other ones roost in the trees. (laughs) They're actually completely free-range birds that uh, roam the farm 100% free. They hatch out their own young, and they have their own pattern that they like to graze and cover the whole farm. Oh, yes. And because of them, you can go into my pig pen. You can go into that pig pen and you will not find one piece of manure. And it's amazing because the pigs, they're in there and they're, oh, yes. they're eating and they're pooping. And the uh, people will say, you've got to worm pigs. We never worm our pigs because the cycle of the parasites is broken. The chickens and the guinea fowl and the turkeys, they go in there every day. They scratch out all the pig manure, they find any parasites, and they also find fly larvae, and they clean up the pig pen every day perfectly, better than I could ever do. And it keeps our pigs so incredibly healthy. Oh, yes. Uh, You've never seen such healthy, vital pigs that have no parasites, and there's no flies. For how many pigs and cows we have on our farm, uh... You, you'll get the occasional fly, but it's nothing like the population you'd expect. Oh, yes. So, our poultry is uh, much more, as I said, much more valuable alive than dead. Because uh, once we wrap them up and put them in a package and sell a bird, it's not doing the job anymore.
0: Oh, and yes. So, yes. we keep them as cleanup crew. Oh, very good. Very good. Now, are you rotating your hogs through your lanes? We are. So, a little differently than the cattle the cattle we
1: move constantly all summer we're moving them fast through that system and kind of and mob grazing those small alleys uh because those alleys in between the trees aren't big okay yes so we set up an electric fence they graze it down and we move them whereas with the pigs i'm using them more as a like the nuclear bomb it's we find areas of the farm that are really weedy and really distressed, uh, areas that have been overgrazed for a long time and areas that look like crap. And we say, we need to start over, over in this section. So I'll put all the pigs on that spot and we'll graze it and we'll let them root up all those, all the weeds. Uh, they'll, they'll eat the roots of the plants and they'll take it down to nothing. And then I move them and I come through with a dryland pasture mix. It's got, uh, alfalfas and clover drought tolerant perennial grasses native grasses i come back so i come behind the pigs and i reseed those areas after they've demolished the weeds and that way when it grows back in it comes back in with a viable pasture that i can then put the cows on so the the pigs are more of uh the demolition crew oh yes that we are, are using to rehabilitate rehabilitate
0: areas of the farm that have gotten kind of out of control And I can see them excelling at that job. On your pasture mix, is that a commercially available mix you're using or is it a mix you came up with? It's actually a custom mix. I've used all kinds of generic dryland pasture
1: mix. It's a very common term. And uh, after using them and actually figuring out what what species really thrive in my environment uh, with as little rainfall as we get, I've kind of custom tailored my own mix. And, uh, in case you're wondering, it's got yellow sweet clover. It's got, uh, multiple, multiple varieties of, uh, of alfalfa that are drought tolerant, deep rooted alfalfas. And then it's got just a long list of native and perennial grasses that have deep tap roots, form big matted root systems. And, uh,
0: the kind of plants that are hard to kill. That's what I really go for. Oh Yes. And when you go in to put that seed in, are you hand broadcasting it? How are you incorporating it into the soil? On our small
1: scale, we we broadcast it by seed. We Once we've moved the pigs off of an area, we'll go through by hand, s- spread the seed. Ideally, we do it in the wintertime. Oh, yes. Uh, before a heavy snow. Oh, okay. And that way the snow falls it settles on those seed heads and it just really uh, allows the seeds to choose when they want to break hibernation and germinate in the spring because the seeds know better than we do. And every variety is different. So for a mix, a pasture mix, you've got all the different varieties. If you, if you sow them all in may when it's raining, a lot of them will come right up, but some of them actually wanted to have started that process much earlier and other ones don't, need to be starting the process yet. So it's nice to give them the option to naturally
0: germinate. Very good. You mentioned on your your hogs, um, you don't have to worm them. You don't have any problems with disease. Are you vaccinating or worming your cattle or are they, they pretty hands-off as well? They're hands-off as well. We don't worm. We don't vaccinate.
1: We don't give anything because what we have found is if you graze cattle properly and you move them around regularly, they stay healthy. There's not much they need. And same thing with the, as I had mentioned with the pigs, how the poultry clean up the manure and keep the fly population down. It's the same with our cattle and flies are a major, uh, vector for disease with cattle, yeah. whether it be pink eye or other diseases, a lot of that stuff, can come over the fence from your neighbor uh, with a fly that lands on your cow. Oh, yes. And so I adore our poultry and how they really just spend all day hunting flies, hunting down uh, the vector of disease. So, uh, no, we don't use any medications uh, of any type, wormers, anything like that. We, I'm a strong believer that well-managed livestock
0: uh, don't need that at all. Oh yes, yes. When do you have your cattle, Kev? We, we ha- we're on a
1: kind of a swing with it right now. Okay. I we just switched bulls, and so I'm a little off program with some of my cows right now. But in general, we go for a spring calving, April and May. Seems to be a gentle time for them, and uh, a wonderful time because then the calf has all summer. Uh, to nurse on its mother while they're grazing that the milk is extremely nutritious and the calves grow like weeds. Uh, we got a little bit thrown off this year with our, we also run a couple of dairy cows just for the, for family milk cows. Yes. And normally we have them calve in the spring with the beef cows and then we, we milk all summer, make all the butter we need, put it up for the winter. Uh, this is, uh, this is kind of an, a weird season for us, switching bulls and, uh, boy, our dairy cows calved late summer. So oh. by now we, we, we would usually have them dried up and be taking a break. Oh yeah. But our cows are in full milk right now. Oh. And so it's, you, we've had to really adapt to that. And, uh, what we've actually settled on is we don't sep- we, we don't separate calves anyway. We're one of those dairies that keeps the calves with the mother. Uh, and so this winter, that's really been something that works in our favor. Because some days we look out the window and say, <laughs> it looks cold out there. It looks really snowy. Yes. We should probably, I don't really feel like milking today. And so all, all we do is just let the calves drink all the milk. And uh, they're grateful
0: for it. And we're grateful for it too. <laughs> yes. Some of those days you look out, yeah. You're like, I think it may be better inside for a little while. You bet you mentioned um uh, winter gets there and you're feeding you're feeding hay are you harvesting hay on your place or are you buying hay? Yeah, so we have uh, we have two trains of thought on that
1: and for for sure we have to buy quite a bit of hay to get our animals th- through the winter we don't have enough acreage right now to make our own hay, although hay sovereignty is a major goal of ours oh, Essentially, we're yes. not there yet um uh, it it takes quite a bit to invest in hay grounds, hay machinery, all that. Oh, so right yes. now we're yes. buying hay for the winter. Uh, we're lucky to be able to source in our area uh, good hay that's not sprayed, that's from well you know well taken care of fields. So at least we know it's high quality hay and uh, it's going to keep our animals healthy. But we we try to feed as little as possible, and we do that by leaving areas of the farm ungrazed during the summer we let some areas of the farm really get a good uh amount of growth on it and we let that grass just die standing and we save it so that come this time of year basically november december even into january we can run the cows onto those uh sections of the farm and uh winter graze them on what's out there in the field standing and uh we do that as long as we can. Inevitably, it runs out eventually, <laughs> yeah. and then we're just feeding off the hay pile. And, uh, you know, hay has has a couple of different uh, purposes. It's not just feed for the animals. It's also an input to the farm. Uh, it's something I spend money on to bring to the farm. But it, uh, as an input, it's also bringing in nutrients from off the farm onto the farm. And so we try to take full advantage of that. And so when we feed the cows hay, we just try to prioritize feeding them that hay in areas that need the fertility. Oh yeah. So it's not just it's more than one purpose. We're not just feeding the cows with it, we're also using it uh to beef up certain areas, uh create a mat of hay and manure over areas of the farm that are weedy.
0: And just as long as I'm going to spend money on hay, I want to get the most out of it we can. True, true. Yes. Where do you see your farm going in the future? What's your plans for it? Well, we
1: we see a few different ways the it, it could really go. Uh, what I'd like to see is our farm really link up with more of the farms in our valley uh, in, in somewhat of a joint effort to get food from where we live out to out to the public because we live in an area of Colorado on the Western Slope. It's quite remote. And it's also, in general, the people who live in my area aren't the type of people who want to go spend a bunch of money on grass-fed beef and pay a premium for that because they either raise their own beef or they'd rather buy the cheap stuff at the right. city market. Yes, And so uh, what I found is, you know, my my main customer base is... Not where I live. It's uh, I drive meat to the Denver, Boulder area on the Front Range. I drive meat as far as San Diego and Los Angeles. I, I drive meat all over the place, and uh, you know myself. That demand keeps growing. The orders keep getting bigger. I can only keep up with that so much on my small acreage, and so it can go two ways. I can either grow our farm to meet those needs and just. Continue to acquire more land and grow my herd, or I can incentivize other farmers in my area to meet a certain uh, to to meet certain practices to meet, uh, for lack of a better word, regulations of um, you know grass fed, rotationally grazed, yes. no GMOs, no shots, no vet, You know what I mean? Yes, yes. Get them on the same page so that their product is uh, just as high quality as what we produce. And that way, we don't have to take the whole burden of producing enough for that market. We can actually support other farmers in our area and incentivize them to use a method of farming that's much better uh, for our valley. So, And that's what I'd really like to see is uh, somehow uh, the opportunity to team up with other farms where I live. And it's the ball is already rolling. There's people who are you know, tuning into this and, and getting on board, but basically create a system that creates an, uh, an outlet for our products where we live, where we get top dollar, we get a premium for such an incredible product, uh, a regenerative product, a product that's, you know, uh, not just carbon neutral, but actually taking carbon out of, out of the air. Yes. So, uh, and then getting it to the people who appreciate it and want to spend the the money on that. So I think as, a, as far as a business
0: model goes, that's kind of the direction we're leaning right now. Very good. I, I wish you luck in that. I think more and more people are looking at these regenerative practices and seeing how they can be incorporated. And the locally sourced beef market has just gone crazy through this pandemic. So hopefully that continues on. I think people, it's important people know where their food comes from. That's for sure. Yeah. The the pandemic has actually, uh, it's been hard for a lot
1: of people, but for a, a small farmers, it's been, uh, absolutely the best, you know, the best business year we've ever had. Oh yes. Uh, we've never sold so much beef or pork and we've never seen such an increase in customers. It's, it's been a, uh, A huge year for us people actually caring about their food
0: for the first time which is great i mean a lot of bad things with the pandemic but there's there's been some good points too just like with everything else jake we're at the time of our Mm -hmm. podcast for our famous four it's our questions we ask of every guest on our podcast our first question is what's your favorite grazing grass related book or resource Easy. Uh, hands down, uh, restoration agriculture,
1: uh, Mark Shepard. It's such a great book because it takes, uh, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of permaculture techniques and regenerative techniques that I feel like are mystical or difficult to understand for somebody who's a novice. And, uh, Mark does an amazing job of deciphering a lot of of, mat- of material and and reformatting in a way that's actually very easy to understand uh easy to to look at the way he's written it and say oh that makes sense it's not uh it's not too technical it's not too crazy it's just it, it's a wonderful case for regenerative farming it's a wonderful case for livestock management and perennial farming and uh So yeah, I really appreciate that book, and that's one I'd recommend to anybody
0: who wants to learn more about this. Very good. I am not familiar with that book, so that's one I'll be adding to my to-read list. What tool could you not live without on your farm? Well, there's a lot of tools I couldn't live without, but uh, I think the, the
1: most important tool for us these past four years is the one that I... It's going to make me live longer. And uh, that's my Bobcat T250. It's a skid steer track machine. Oh, yes. And uh, it does all the heavy lifting for me. Oh, very good. Not only does it feed my cows, I use use big bales and I use my Bobcat to feed those big bales in the winter. I use it to feed big totes of barley to my pigs. Uh, I use it to cut all those swales on my farm and dig ponds. So uh, even though I could have done all that by hand, boy, my back really appreciates that machine and it's going to help me to be a farmer for much longer. So uh, I think that uh, if you're going to take on a big regenerative project, a big land project, a big farming project, you got to have a machine that's going to do the heavy lifting for you so
0: that you can, uh, so you can do it the rest of your life and not be in pain. So true. Yes. And as you age, you find those pain points a lot easier. Mm -hmm. What would you tell someone just starting out on this journey to be a a grass farmer? My number one uh, recommendation
1: to somebody getting into this now is to find a mentor, find many mentors, go work on their farms, Uh, immerse. It's like learning a language, immerse yourself in it. And don't uh, be distracted by anything else. And that includes, uh, you know, no offense for what you're doing, but that includes all the, all these other things like podcasts and books for a little while. Not for the whole time, but for a period of time, not to listen to what everybody has to say, but just to go have your own experience on a farm. Take your headphones off. <laughs> yes. Put your phone away somewhere where you can't find it. Find a mentor find a farm that you really appreciate the way that they work the land, the way they take care of their animals and immerse yourself in it and don't be distracted by anything else for as long as possible and when you leave that place you'll have the
0: confidence and the skills to go do it on your own. Yes, you're gaining that that experience from someone who knows how to do it, who's successful yeah, a lot of benefit there. Now, I encourage everyone to continue listening to this podcast. But yeah, I agree with what you're saying. <laughs> well, they should come back to it, but take a break. Yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> just a yeah. short break. Yeah, they should take a break. Come <laughs> back. Yeah. <laughs> Where can others find out more about you?
1: Um, we have a presence on Instagram uh, under Cedar Springs Farm. Uh, we try to keep it as educational of a page as possible when it's not just a dump for pictures of my cute baby. We try to make it all about our farming practices and you know, how we manage our animals and trees. Uh, there's also a YouTube video uh, right now uh, that uh, Stefano Creatini made it, and it's basically a... A tour around our farm. Oh, very nice. And if you search my name, Jake Tackiff, on YouTube, it will come up. And it's about, I think it's 35, 40 minutes of just a full-on tour of our systems and of our farm. Very nice. So
0: that's another place you can kind of learn more about what we're doing. We'll post links to Instagram and to that YouTube video in our show notes. Well, Jake, we appreciate you coming on today. Enjoyed the conversation. Yeah. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it too. And thanks for thinking to, you know, interview us and see what we're doing over there in Hotchkiss. It is always great to find out what others are doing, what's working for them. You know, I've been to too many conferences where they tell us what to do. I want to hear what people are doing. That's the truth. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Jake as much as I have. But did I forget to ask the question you wanted to ask Now is the chance for you to ask your question. Go to the grazinggrass.com website and click on Ask Your Question. Complete the form, and we will have a future episode where our guests are answering your questions. You just listened to the Grazing Grass Podcast, helping grass farmers learn from grass farmers. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, share our episodes with others, and leave us a review where you listen to podcasts. Until next time, keep grazing grass. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I know I did. Thank you for listening. And if you found something useful, please share it. Share it on your social media. Tell your friends. Get the word out about the podcast. Helps us grow. If you happen to be a grass farmer, and you'd like to share about your journey, Go to grazinggrass.com and click on Be Our Guest. Fill out the form and I'll be in touch. We appreciate your support by sharing our episodes and telling your friends about it. You can also support our show by buying our merch. We get a little bit back from that. Another way to support the show is by becoming a Grazing Grass Insider. Grazing Grass Insiders enjoy bonus content monthly Zooms, and discounts. You can visit the website, grazinggrass.com, click on support, and they'll have the links there. Also, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It really helps us as people are searching for podcasts. And I was just checking them, and we do not have very many reviews for 2024. So if you haven't left us a review, please do. And Until next time, Keep on grazing grass.